You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 48. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying their summer. Uh, so far, 2018 summer has been fantastic. Uh, we are up in Washington State, um, getting a little reprieve from the hot summers down in the Southwest. We have been uh, you know, creating some content, some, blo- some uh, blog articles and such. We've been getting uh, actually quite a few questions and comments and it's a little time consuming, honestly, to you know to reply to each one of them indirectly. We'd love to be able to do that, but it's really you know really challenging. Um, however, we thought we would take those questions and comments that people have, very valid ones, very specific, very practical questions about hormone replacement, thyroid, adrenals, all of those things, and then answer them here on the podcast. Uh, so that way, uh, the you know the people that are asking the questions get to benefit, but then everyone else gets to benefit because you know this is some really um, hard to find information. Really, when you're looking for specifics about your very particular situation as a patient. No, absolutely. We had been thinking about you know with the podcast, let's bring in some questions because a lot of us can relate to these questions that people have, you know, because a lot of people have questions. They might not be able to get a hold of their doctor. They're not really sure if the resources that they're reading are accurate and they're really going to apply to them. So it's really interesting to have these questions because if one person's asking it, that means other people are probably wondering them too. Yeah. And the thing about hormone replacement in general, even functional medicine, integrative medicine, natural medicine, uh, all of the different, you know, titles, whatever you want to call it, there is there are a, a multitude of options that doctors can take. And that is in some ways kind of a blessing and a curse. There's no one right way to do something. You can do it in a, in a, in a variety of ways uh, where, for example, someone has an infection, you give an antibiotic. You know, there might be only a couple of antibiotics to give for that particular infection. You know, that is considered to be the standard of care. Someone's got high blood pressure, they get, you know, one of a few different types of, you know, medications. Uh, when it comes to hormone replacement, it is not that black and white. And really, um, this is where, you know, kind of the, as we've talked about in the past, uh, and this is what you excel at the most, where the kind of the art and science kind of uh, blend together. There's some science, there's lots of science, a lot of uh, physiology and biochemistry that are taken into consideration, but there's a lot of individual aspects of that person that determine what might work for that person as far as their prescriptions go. Absolutely. That's why um, we really like this question that Nina wrote in for us because it kind of is, has kind of a little of everything to it. So where like Dr. Mackey was saying, you know, a lot of doctors just treat you as numbers on a piece of paper as your lab work. 
there's a little bit of that in here. There's a little bit of, you know, you know, our personal sensitivity. There's a little bit of not sure what to do. I have so many other doctors telling me what to do. I don't really know what direction to go in. And it does combine the thyroid in with the, um, you know, with the hormones with the BHRT and then with the actual testosterone. So I think this will be a really um, interesting one for everyone to hear, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So a uh, lack of a better way to do it, I'm going to actually read the question pretty much. It's a long question. I'm going to read it verbatim for the most part, just to give some context. Uh, and so everyone understands what's going on. And then we're going to give a response to some of the things that she, you know, that she talks about. We might stop somewhere along the way, but I'm going to try to read the whole question all the way through uh, and then go back and answer. We'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, hello there. I have loved reading all of your info with regards to BHRT, hypothyroidism, et cetera. There are two things I would love to get your opinion on. First, quick background. I'm on BHRT and have had two rounds of testosterone pellets. The first round, within three weeks of having it inserted, I felt awful. Couldn't sleep. Cholesterol readings were high. Cortisol readings were off the charts and still only managed to get my peak at 98 at six weeks. I believe the aim was to get it to 150. I swore I would never do it again. However, after two months and things had died down, I decided to give it another go. This time, my lovely doctor inserted, increased the dosage to get my peak, to get me at my peak reading. This time round, I was 10 times worse. My thyroid levels were bouncing around. I had to increase my Synthroid from 75 micrograms to 88 micrograms and then to 100 micrograms. Couldn't sleep, etc. I just had my thyroid levels checked again. I was edging towards being hyperthyroid, so now I'm back uh, to 75 micrograms. I'm due for my third pellet, and I've decided this is not for me. My GP just thinks that this is all a coincidence when the pellets are inserted. My hormone doc doesn't believe it either. A friend, OBGYN, said he dislikes the pellets as he believes not enough studies have been done on women. Uh, studies have come back that lipid and thyroid levels can go haywire. I'm trying to get info and coming up against a brick wall. Nobody seems to believe me. Do you have any thoughts on this? I really would love to hear them. Secondly, I'm on progesterone cream, uh, have tried the tablets. They were making me feel drowsy. Plus, I was having some crazy dreams. Uh, having said that, after reading your article on uterine cancer and how it's better protected with oral progesterone, I'm willing to give it another try. My hormone doc says I'm pretty sensitive to medication, which I am. What do you think would be the best route for me to take with regards to drowsiness during the day? Uh, hope I'm making some sense. I have bookmarked your page and will reread again and again. You seem to make so much sense. I'm so glad I found you guys. Many thanks, Nina. So I really appreciate Nina reaching out because this is a great question with a lot of really good background about her that would absolutely apply to pretty much a lot of women going through um, hormone replacement or bioidentical hormone replacement. So it's really interesting because this not only has the hormone replacement in terms of, I would assume she's probably on some form of bias, which is an estriol and estradiol combination cream. So we're, I'm going to go ahead and just assume that. Um, she's obviously female and she's a female that's getting testosterone pellets inserted 
and she's on some progesterone cream, but at the same time, she's hypothyroid, so she's also on thyroid. So one reason why we really like this question is we always say, you know, medicine isn't compartmentalized. Our bodies are not compartmentalized. It's not all the thyroid's one, you know, one aspect, the digestion's one aspect, you know, the nervous system's one aspect, the hormones are one aspect, our adrenals are one aspect. This really kind of pulls this all together. And then there at the end, she mentions kind of what her main complaint or her main health goal that she's talking about is she's tired during the day. You know, that's probably one of the biggest complaints we get from patients that come to see us when they first come to see us. Number one, they're tired during the day, you know, so we definitely want to work on our fatigue, but then kind of find a nice balance with this, but also keep it the realm, you know, in health safety for her longevity and also for her future safety for, you know, as a human. Yeah, right. This really goes across all the different hormones. Uh, now we're going to kind of break it down. You can kind of decide where you want to start. Um, but really there's, uh, there's testosterone here, there's estrogen, there's progesterone and thyroid. Uh, and then it brings in a little bit of the cortisol, the insulin, the adrenals. So really this is a such a, as they all are, right? When you're dealing with hormones, that's the thing that has to be uh, considered is once you're uh, manipulating and modifying and changing one hormone, they're all changing simultaneously. It's not, you can just, you know, focus on one because once you have an impact on one hormone, you're affecting all of them. So I'm just going to back up and assume that Nina's on a, um, that she's menopausal or, you know, or probably right in menopause. So she is on the BHRT, probably some form of an estrogen cream. She had mentioned about being on a progesterone cream, was concerned about the progesterone and wasn't necessarily possibly taking it as much as she should, but now realizing that if you're doing some form of estrogen you want, and you have a uterus, you want to do the progesterone. So I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there that she's on some form of estrogen. She didn't mention anything about hot flashes and night sweats. So I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Her biased or estrogen cream is probably doing the job for the hot flashes and the night sweats and the vaginal dryness. Granted, she could probably go on and on and on and we'd be reading for days, you know, because people are complicated. But to kind of boil it back down is, you know, she is absolutely saying when she did those testosterone pellets, which testosterone pellets are very strong, you know, you're inserting a pellet of testosterone into your bum and you get immediately skyrocketing results of testosterone. And then they over time start to diminish until there's no more. And then you do another round. That's the whole premise behind the pellets. Now with testosterone is a little bit, I find testosterone to be way more of an art for females because we're all so different when it comes to what our individualized testosterone levels should be. So when she's saying that her two doctors are saying that her how she's feeling is independent of the testosterone pellets, I would tend to disagree and really favor what Nina's saying because she knows her body better than anybody else in the entire world does. But at the same time, we've had lots of women on lots of testosterone, whether it's pellets or they've, I've had some that have actually had injections, um, their creams were too high, and they have terrible symptoms. So I do believe that for Nina, the testosterone pellets are not a go for her. But then we want to think about, you know, hey, testosterone is important for females. A lot of doctors do blow it off and say it's for a guy, it's for a guy. But us ladies need a good level of testosterone in our bloodstreams as well. 
Yeah, and uh, you and I are not really big fans of the pellets anyways, certainly not for men, um, not for men at all. I think that it's a really bad idea for men. Uh, and the thing to understand about pellets or just about hormones in general, when you're actually taking hormones, it's really about a, a receptor function. So hormones communicate from their release from a target, t- for their release from a gland in the body, let's say the pituitary or the testes or the ovaries or the thyroid, and they go to a target tissue somewhere else in the body, and they are attaching to a receptor. Uh, Almost like the Wi-Fi, the way the Wi-Fi works in your house. You have the router in your house that sends off a Wi-Fi signal, your computer, your phone, pick up that signal, and now you get some kind of response based on that signal. That's kind of how hormones work in the body. When you over, when you flood the body with too much of a hormone, which is exactly what the pellets do, um, those pellets are supposed to degrade over time. They're supposed to be like a certain degradation period of those pellets. But invariably, no matter what, for both men and women, those pellets um, really degrade very rapidly in the beginning. So they get these huge surging levels. And you and I both agree when it comes to women, um, you don't need to hit them with a, uh, the testosterone sludge hammer, which the pellets kind of sometimes do. And you get a very classic, you know, response like this, uh, because there's been no determination, like we, you said just a few minutes ago, of where their testosterone threshold is. Every woman's got a little bit of a different threshold. Some women, as we've experienced, can handle a lot of testosterone, and some women can handle very little testosterone. So that's why, you know, what this question is so great, you can see that her doctor is aiming for a particular number in her bloodstream for her level not necessarily taking into, you know, her subjective information on how she's actually feeling. He's looking, or he or she, is looking at the objective data of what is the testosterone level in her bloodstream. So, you know, every doctor has a little bit different philosophy, and that's, you know, all well and fine because everybody's got their thing. Like we said, it's a dance. It's an art to hormone replacement. It's not A plus B equals C. It's more like A plus B equals EF and Z. So, but when she's saying that they're trying to reach a peak of 98 at six weeks and the aim, or she hit 98 at six weeks in her bloodstream, I'm assuming that's nanograms per deciliter and that they want to get to 150. Honestly, 150 nanograms per deciliter of testosterone in a female is way too high. I have a few um, ex-athletes that we keep it right around there and a few a cup, I mean, I could probably name them on one hand how many I keep at 150 because that's a lot of testosterone. Now, you know, let's um, let's say for, for, you know, Quest labs, you know, there's lots of different labs that people get their blood drawn, but we'll say Quest because they're pretty popular. Their reference range is kind of ridiculous. It starts at two, like two is normal. Two to 45 nanograms per deciliter is the normal range for females. That's a big, broad range. Just in experience for us, you know, having done this since 2004, Dr. Mackey since 2003, testosterone levels for females, they tend to feel pretty good when they're over 30, but when you get over 65, close to 100, sometimes they don't feel good. And some of those symptoms of high testosterone are your cortisol levels go crazy, so you gain weight in the stomach, you feel, quote unquote, testy, right? That's what the whole world, you know, know, the word testy, I feel testy. You can have hair loss. I've seen tremendous acne, back acne, acne on the neck. Um, lots, especially um, hair loss, like androgen male pattern hair loss in the temples and the top of the head, or just a bunch of hair. And I know people think, hey, all this testosterone is going to make me really, you know, my sex drive go through the roof. And it doesn't always do that. I mean, yeah, testosterone can help the sex drive, but it certainly isn't the be all end all. So just on it in terms of 
with Nina is looking at her lab values is important, but at the same time, taking in consideration, well, who, you, who is she as a, as a human and what are her symptoms? Right, right, right. Uh, and, you know, also too, uh, well, you know, back to the testosterone, uh, one of the symptoms that, especially with the pellets, because the dose gets so high, you see a lot, and she said she couldn't sleep because uh, they get a lot of anxiety. So they're almost kind of like they're revved up all the time and they can't shut it off. It takes sometimes weeks, if not months for that to level off and those symptoms to go away. But all the, the damage has already been done, right? They're already, you know, they felt so awful. They're not going to go from feeling awful to feeling great. Um, they're just not. Sometimes, like you said, maybe in the ex-athletes or the ones that have a little bit more of a testosterone tolerance, they might feel really, really good, almost like they're uh, almost kind of superhuman because they can tolerate that. But if that doctor knew that she was quote unquote sensitive ahead of time, he should never have done the pellets in the first place. But he had an agenda you know, prior to, you know, I'm sure he probably does that with everyone. You know, So it's protocol first versus patient first, um, because if he knew she was sensitive, unless he's deciding she was sensitive after the fact, um, if he knew she was, she was sensitive to begin with, then I don't think the pellet should even have been done. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming they may have done a cream at some point with her because I I really like testosterone cream. I mean, a lot of doctors like these pellets and injections, but for females, you know, when you're looking at levels of testosterone, you you don't necessarily want them bouncing up and down in a perfect 28-day cycle. Sure, the testosterone does come up a little bit right around ovulation, day 12 to day 16, and then it comes down, which is natural, you know, the natural kind of change in curve over that 28-day cycle. But realistically, we don't, the testosterone does not bounce up and down. So I would think that using a cream would probably be better with Nina. A lot of doctors hesitate from that because they say the absorbency is, they don't absorb it well. And that's where nowadays, especially in the last couple of years, compounding pharmacies, depending on which ones you're using, have amazing cream bases. There's different Versa bases. There's um, bases you can use vaginally. There's bases you use that transdermally. You can add a little DMSO in there. There's a, a lipo base that works really good. There's so many bases to be able to make sure that that testosterone gets into the bloodstream. Another thing that doctors will say, no, you've got to do the pellets instead is because they think this testosterone is going to get all over everybody and anybody around you. With men, you got to be a little bit more careful with that when they're doing a transdermal cream or gel. But with females, we're not doing a lot of testosterone. If it got on your man, it's pretty much not going to do anything. The amount of testosterone a man has in their body compared to a female is like, you know, like a like our testosterone would be like what would be in his pinky. You know, it's nothing, right? It's nothing. So it's not if it gets on your fella, no biggie. Now if it got on a little dog or a little person, that's another story, which is why we talk about placement of testosterone, placement of hormones in general. You don't put them on your arms, you don't put them on your breasts, you don't put them on your stomach. You be careful of the bum because you can sit on the toilet seat, but the inner thigh or the back of the knee is really a safe place to to keep it from getting on little people or you know um, or um, you know your kids and whatnot or your animals or your pets. I would say a cream for Nina would be really good, and then testing her. And with the creams, they say it doesn't. I know I'm going on and on and on here, but with the creams, a lot of doctors say, well, it doesn't absorb, partly because they're not always testing um, as appropriately as they should. If I put on testosterone cream this morning and then I tested it three to five hours later after application, then I would see an absorbency. I would see how much of that testosterone I absorbed this morning. But if I hadn't put on my testosterone this morning, but I put it on yesterday morning and I go and get a blood draw, my levels would be very low because it's reflecting what I haven't absorbed for the day. Because in terms of the creams, you know, they have a very short, short half-life in the body, which makes it easy to manipulate. 
Right. You know, I, we, one of the conferences that we go to every year uh, or heard uh, one of the speakers talk about, because sometimes when you're using a transdermal cream, it is difficult to get those levels to rise appropriately when you're using static dosing. Uh, static dosing means same dose every day because the hormones are supposed to be in the cells, not in your blood. So once the once the hormone reaches the blood, your cells soak it up immediately, and now those blood levels don't rise appropriately. So in this case, the doctor, as you said, is trying to achieve a certain blood level, but you we think that you need to take the subjective information, the patient, how they feel. That is more important than the numbers. The numbers are there to guide and make sure that you're following the right things and the numbers don't go too high, whatever else. But the subjective is way more important than trying to achieve any particular type of uh, reference range on a, you know, on a lab test, especially for testosterone, right? Testosterone for a woman is kind of icing on the cake. You shouldn't be leading with testosterone. And honestly, she's on some thyroid. You and I have some, you know, concerns about Synthroid anyways, that would be, and if she's tired all the time, granted that could be from progesterone, but the, the thyroid looks like it could be optimized because you and I would never prescribe her just Synthroid. We would prescribe her something else. So while they're, you know, looking at the BHRT, the testosterone pellets, um, maybe stepping back and saying, Hey, you know what? She's tired during the day. She's on Synthroid and granted she's on basically 75 micrograms. It's gone up and down because of the testosterone throwing it around. But a lot of doctors are just looking at their thyroid stimulating hormone, which we've had, you know, podcasts on that many, many times on thyroid. And Synthroid is just a T4 instant release monotherapy. There's only T4. When you take it, it goes right into your bloodstream. So one way I would say would be maybe diverting your attention from the hormones with Nina, maybe putting her on a testosterone cream, making sure she absorbs it, keeping it on her biased, and then we'll talk shortly here about the progesterone. But looking at that thyroid, looking how much is she, how much of that Synthroid is she absorbing in terms of her free T4? How much of that T4 is converting over to the free T3, which is the active form of thyroid. So it might be that she could be tired just because her T4 conversion to T3 is very low that you just needed to optimize the free T3. Right. And it, you know her dose changed like three times in a matter of a few weeks. I guarantee you what you just said, their doctor didn't even run a free T3. For one, for whatever reason, you and I find that to be... Now, granted, we do look at TSH all the time. We run TSHs on everybody, but we also... We like to see a very particular relationship between the TSH and the free T3. We like to see a low normal TSH. So say, let's say something less than one and a half, less than 1.2, even in some cases less than one. And we want to see that free T3, preferably greater than 3.0, if not even greater than 3.5. The closer we can get to the upper end of that range. So the TSH is low normal, the free T3 is high normal. Usually the patient feels pretty good when that relationship is in place. Um, so the fact that her dose changed so much in such a short amount of time, you know all they were doing is just paying attention to her you know, TSH to begin with. And one way that we look at hormones in general is it's metabolic hormones first, insulin, cortisol, thyroid, and it's sex hormones second. And so that's why we're saying that the thyroid should be the one that is um, the one that's focused on first before you start throwing in all that major testosterone. Uh, because one thing will happen is your cortisol goes up, it suppresses thyroid function. So now that's why her TSH was rising, which is why they increased it. They, they overshot the mark. The TSH went a little bit too low. They got a little nervous and now they lowered her dose, but she's still tired. Okay? So they're overreacting. They you know, raised it based on the TSH. They lowered it based on the TSH. 
and not taking these other things into consideration. You know, so now she's got a lower TSH to begin with, and she's still tired as a result of that. That's, you know, that's not right. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, backing up a bit and looking at her thyroid and maybe considering doing a sustained release compounded T4 with T3 combined together might be something to help with her daytime, you know, energy. Of course, you know, sometimes when you're tired during the day, it could be the sleep. And like Nina had mentioned on here, she had been on the progesterone tablets, which I'm assuming is Prometrium, which is a commercial version of progesterone, which is still bioidentical, but it's a commercial version. There's some excipients and stuff in there that some people are allergic to, but it's still a bioidentical form. And she didn't do well on those because they made her tired. And it could, then she said she did the creams and they made her tired as well. So that's where I do think if she has a uterus and she's doing any other types of hormone replacement, whether especially estrogen, is she's got to have some progesterone. But that's where there's a little bit of finessing with the progesterone too. So she was on Prometrium and the only two doses that, that are available are 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams. So they made a, might have just put her right at 200 milligrams, which would make anybody immediately tired. And you think Prometrium, most commercially available progesterones are instant release. So if I took it at 8.30 at night, I'm going to pretty much be pretty drowsy and a little wonky at nine o'clock. So you better go to bed. So I have some people that do the instant release Prometrium because it's not a bad one. It does, Prometrium does protect the uterine lining is maybe they go to bed earlier and I have them take it earlier anyway. Maybe they take it, you know, if if some people have to wake up really early at five, then I'll tell them, hey, listen, take it sometime before nine, but realize you're going to have to go to bed early. So we have them take it a little earlier. You never take progesterone capsules in the morning. That's like a sure recipe of walking around like a zombie. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, and, you know, granted, we want people to get to bed early anyways, right? The number of hours before before midnight, you know, the more sleep before midnight, the better it is. But, you know, granted, sometimes where people are busy, sometimes people are not getting home from work until 6, 7, 8 o'clock. Uh, you know, then they're going to have some dinner and then they're going to go right to sleep. It takes a lot of discipline to be able to do that. People want to decompress and, uh, you know, whatever. But you're right, you know, with that Prometrium especially, there's, you know, there's going to be potentially some spillover in the morning and they might go wake up with a little bit of the progesterone hangover, so to speak. Yeah. So I'd say for Nina, if she's on, you know, hundred milligrams of Prometrium, take it a little bit earlier, you know, and know that you're going to get a little, maybe a little drowsy, but if you're taking it earlier, like around eight o'clock, then by the time you wake up the next morning at six, it, you're not going to be tired anymore. And then sometimes what I find for people, if they're really sensitive, like, you know, I take progesterone, but honestly, I can take progesterone anytime and not get drowsy. It's but everybody's different. You know, she's way more sensitive than I am. That if she takes it at eight o'clock and she's like drowsy at 8:15, then what we do is we actually do a sustained release because I do like progesterone as a sustained release because progesterone helps you sleep. And most of us ladies, especially when you know, perimenopause and menopause. We can't sleep through the night. So if you do a sustained release progesterone, you're not quite as drowsy after you take it, you know, 30 minutes after you take it, but it stays in your system the whole night. So it keeps you from necessarily waking up at one in the morning and then you're up from one to two thirty and then you finally fall asleep because that's pretty classic with low progesterone. Yeah, and a and a very common starting dose for that situation would be a hundred milligrams of sustained release 
compounded progesterone. Okay, so that you cannot get from a big box pharmacy. You can't get that from CVS. It's only Prometrium you can get from CVS or Walgreens. What we're talking about as far as progesterone goes. And the, the great thing, and this is one of the blessings of, a, of all compounding pharmacies, is really if you are sensitive, you could start at 25, you could start at 50, you could start at 75, you could do 100, you could do 125. Uh, you, you and I usually don't go any higher than 200. Usually 200 is as high as you need to go. Um, but if you started at 100, you know, depending on the woman's response, you could easily jump to 200. They just take two capsules, uh, especially because one thing about oral progesterone, not only does it protect the uterine lining better, but it is, as you already mentioned, it's wonderful for that, you know, for that sleep response. And the sustained release doesn't have as much of that grogginess in the morning. Um, but if you're taking 200 milligrams, that might just be too much. So you might have to do a little bit, a little bit less, whether it's 100 or 75 or 50. Or there's the good news is that there's room to kind of play around with those dosages. And just on a quick side note, you know, Nina also mentioned that taking the progesterone was giving her some kind of wild dreams at night. And that, you know, everybody's different, so that could be possible. I don't really see that too often with the um, kind of wild dreams, but I do see that when you combine the progesterone with uh, DHEA, that will cause some pretty, even if you took the DHEA in the morning, you're still going to have some pretty wild dreams at night. Um, vitamin B6 can also cause some kind of intense dreaming, and then melatonin can have that effect. So if she was taking any of those along with the progesterone, it could be a more of a combination effect for those kind of wild, crazy dreams. And you know, she did say that her cortisol levels were bouncing around too. Cortisol can create, especially if those dreams were kind of a little panicked, um, where she's being chased or you know she's in this kind of fight or flight kind of a dream. A lot of that could be driven by some of that cortisol. You know, so granted. Uh, I don't think the progesterone necessarily, I think with that big testosterone, 800 pound gorilla in the room, I think that was probably driving a lot of it. Well, who knows if that was done at the same time or not. We're just kind of speculating after the fact. So I know we kind of broke this apart a little bit. Um, anything else you want to add to that question? Yeah, no, like I said, uh, we're not really, you know, in general, we're just not fans of pellets. So, you know, maybe we're a little biased in that respect. Certainly not one, um, once fine, twice you know, shame on the doctor. You know, she didn't have a good response the first time. So increase the dose the second time and you're expecting a better result. That to me um, seems a little obvious not to do that. If they didn't, if they had a great response the first time, then okay, fine, do it the second time, raise the dose. But like we said, it's about receptor function and you want to be gentle with those receptors. A little bit of hormone goes a long way. You don't need to, you don't need to slam so much hormone in there to get the desired response. And it is way more about the subjective response than it is about the lab tests. The lab tests are important, especially with thyroid and some of those. But when it comes to the female hormones, you know, and even the testosterone, you know, the numbers don't always equate to the res the clinical response that you want. You have to know how to read, kind of read between the lines a little bit. So I just want to reach out and tell Nina, thank you so much for this thorough, because I know it took her a while to write this, um, to write this question to us. So thank you. And it really applies to a lot of women out there. This is like a really common theme, which is why we wanted to talk about it. So um, when you're listening, Nina, if you ever want to do a shout out and let us know what you ended up doing on that. If you did the third round of testosterone pellets or if you did something different or you have some other questions, please um, give us an update. I'm sure everybody listening would love that. 
Yeah. So in the future, uh, we plan on doing more of these questions like this because that way now uh, the person, in this case, Nina, everyone else, we have a few other questions that we're going to be going through over the next few episodes and you know here on out. Um, that way everyone gets to benefit from the question. You can send us an email at help at progressorhealth.com or you can go on the website. There's a contact form there. Uh, or you can just comment on a blog or a podcast that you come across. And uh, like I said, we would love to be able to respond to every single one. Um, that might not be possible. But if we do uh, answer your question on the podcast, we will let you know that we are answering your question. So that way you can pay attention to it. And um, if we do answer your question, the only thing we do ask in return is if you give us a, re a review on iTunes, I think that's fair. And uh, you know, that way, uh, you know, we're helping you, you're helping us. And then everything, everyone benefits that way, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And, and in the future, yeah, we're going to do the questions, but we're still going to also do our, you know, our normal podcast. So it won't, our podcast is not turning into just questions, but so we're just going to try to open, you know, just open up the horizons a bit. Yeah. And this gives, you know, really without you know joining on, but this really gives some very clear questions and answers for things that as Nina said, she's coming up against some brick walls, right? That this kind of information at this level of detail is impossible to find. You just can't, you can do all the Googling you want and you'll never find the kind of information that we just talked about on this 30 minute podcast. And now that we're sharing it with everybody else, now that's, you know, that's a valuable resource that, um, you know, we're glad to be able to facilitate that. So please send us more of your questions. We want to be able to keep these kinds of things going, um, you know, whatever, because we do understand that there is a little bit of a gap, even in the hormone replacement community, there's, there's difference of opinion, there's difference of a philosophy, there's difference of approach on how things are done. And, you know, what we think that our approach is actually pretty good. You know, people seem to respond well, so we're going to keep doing it. Keep sending us your questions. Uh, Dr. Davidson, anything else to add? Uh, no, no, this was great. Yeah. So thanks again, Nina. And uh, we'll look uh, forward to everybody else's question. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.